The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Jay, uh, it is a banner day for Texans fans everywhere. Uh, just before we started recording this on this wonderful, beautiful, gorgeous Monday morning, it came out that Jack Easterby has been relieved of his duties with the Houston Texans as VP of whatever the hell he was doing. And uh, I, I got to say, it feels amazing. I feel like I can finally start to emotionally invest in the Texans again. We'll talk about that story more in a second. Uh, we have a lot to go over today, but... We're starting off strong, EJ. Starting off week seven, very, very strong. The bad man is gone. <laughs> Bang the gong. Bang it loudly. That's been something that, you know, you've been waiting for specifically for a while, but both of us believed would make the Texans organization better. Um, it was very interesting news to wake up to early this morning, and I believe you're right that Texans fans in general will be breathing a sigh of relief and man to be a fly on the wall I am so freaking curious I would love to know what tipped the scales because if you you know roll the clock back 24 months he looks completely entrenched and unassailable whatever he says goes and that is a string of bad decisions that neither one of us agrees with, but none of us, neither of us think he's leaving anytime soon because he seems to have this Svengali like power over the organization. <laughs> and we're just like, well, whenever, right? And what happened to to open the cracks there and, and get him out the door? I'm fascinated to know. Maybe they'll make a thirty for thirty down the road. But in in the short term, it's a good day. We have uh, a whole lot more to also go over. Uh, you know, we just had Eagles Cowboys last night. We had an amazing Buffalo Kansas City game that lived up to. Uh, I, I didn't think it wouldn't, but I'm almost like surprised at this point with how much hype those games get that it still lives up to it almost every single time. Uh, that was awesome. We had some less than awesome football games that we're unfortunately going to have to go over, and then of course we got to recap. Um, whatever it was that we watched last Thursday <laughs> with the Bears and Commanders. Uh, so a whole lot to get to in this show. But uh, beyond all that, EJ, are you good? You feeling good? You ready to do this? I'm I'm up. I'm ready. I've had two cups of coffee. It's early, but we're going to crank this one out. And we have a new segment at the end of the show. So hang out for that. All right. Uh, we're going to start with uh, news and notes. We're going to dive right back into that Jack Easterby news, which is probably the main story of the week. Uh, at least so far, 
and at least for me, the main story of the season, because like I said, I, I had two very clear things that I needed to happen. I said this all off season um, before I would be fully back into my Texans fandom of my youth going back to when I was 10 years old. If you don't know already, uh, Texans were my longtime AFC team because my dad lived in Houston growing up and then he moved to Chicago, which is when I also latched onto the Bears as my NFC team. So my father is apparently a sadistic man who wished ill upon me for saddling me with these two teams. But, you know, the Texans came first. They were my first love in the NFL. And I was done. I was basically done because Jack Easterby was, and this are not even my words. These are Houston media's words when you look at John McClain and Lance Zerline and all them. A pox on the organization. He was as toxic as toxic gets. He created a horrific work environment. He oversaw many personnel decisions that absolutely ruined the franchise. He was a part of the DeAndre Hopkins trade. He was uh, a part of driving Dwayne Brown out of the organization. He was a big reason why Andre Johnson wanted nothing to do with the organization for for a pretty long time there and like might show up like once a year. Um, he was a key instrument in the complete and utter destruction of the roster. Not to mention, he was one of the people that was still around when they gave Deshaun Watson a massive contract three months after they first started hearing rumblings about what he was doing. So, he was not good. He was not good for the organization. And so, one of my two stipulations was, when Jack was gone, I would be more willing to support the team. My only other thing that I want to happen is Cal McNair to sell, because he's affectionately known by many in the Texans organization as Tommy Boy, and I'll let you figure out why. But Jack Easterby being gone is, is a good first start. So I, I think I'm ready to at least emotionally invest in the Texans again. I don't know if I'm going to financially invest in them and, you know, keep buying gear and tickets and everything like that until Cal sells whenever that may happen. But at least for now, I, I feel like I can watch the team optimistically for the first time in, I don't know, three years? Like, it's almost a weird feeling for me at this point. Yeah, and you don't have to wash your hands afterwards, which is awesome. <laughs> I I do wonder what turned this around. I, I wonder if Lovey has a big enough stake. I wonder if they just tired of the antics, uh, whether it was a combination. Regardless... I don't think you can see it as a negative move. This isn't like, oh, man, the Texans lost Easterby. <laughs> it's the other way around. It's, hey, the Texans are free of Easterby, and his control, his influence was really wide-ranging, wide-reaching. If you listen to stories, which I'm sure you do, from inside the Texans organization, there really wasn't anything he didn't just kind of show up and hover over and, and have sway over. And there's, I can't think of too many other people in the NFL, positive or negative, that have that range of influence where they can just walk into any room and be like, no, yes, no, and, and the organization does that. And Easterby could do that for a while. I don't think really that level of power is good for just about anybody and certainly not for somebody like Easterby who seemed to be driven by motivations that neither you nor I understood. So this, if anything, gives the Texans a little bit of freedom. And I'm excited about that. We're both excited about the draft they had. 
the young part of the roster that they're building, the fact they might have a quarterback for a while in Davis Mills, like there's some there's some good and exciting things to love about the Texans. It's a lot easier to do that with Jack Easterby out of the building. Yeah, Nick Casario's in charge now. This is this is the Nick Casario era, and it's a good one. <laughs> At least so far, it's a good one. So uh, I'm super happy, um, and I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to be able to watch Texans games again with a smile on my face. It's been it's been far too long. Second little bit of news. Again, we are going to be in Buffalo in less than two weeks. EJ's going to be there even earlier than I am. We're coming out for the October 30th Packers-Bills game, which before the season certainly looked a lot different than it's looking right now. Um, doesn't look like a fair fight at the moment. But we're still going to be there regardless, cheering on the Bills. And, you know, I'm going to be seeing Josh Allen in person for my third time this year and marveling at what an absolute alien he is. I know we have a lot of fans up in Buffalo. We're going to be tailgating uh, with Drew and Chris over at the Rockpile Report. They've given me a, a little sneak peek of the menu they got they got cooking up for their tailgate, and it's absolutely absurd. So we'll have more information uh, if you guys want to tailgate with us at Packers Bills in a couple weeks. We'll have more information coming soon on where you can find us. And, uh, and yeah, we're going to be floating around town for, for damn near a week. So come say hi if you can. Uh, it's going to be fun to get back into Western New York. Uh, it's going to be cold, which is going to be really interesting. Um, but, yeah, the game itself, before the season, I think if you said, hey, you get to see Aaron Rodgers versus Josh Allen, you're probably still going to get to see that, which is awesome. Like, that's two quarterbacks that... <laughs> it's everything around Aaron Rodgers. That yeah, the, pack, the Packers side has has taken a dip. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's, it's a fascinating game. And the feeling around Buffalo this season and the team, and this has been building since before training camp, right? Even last year when... The season ended in a way they didn't want it to end. They knew. Buffalo football fans are incredibly savvy, and they follow the team very, very closely. Um, this is a this is a city and a fan base that is wildly invested in the success of their fullback. And I mean that in a non-ironic <laughs> He's a way. a folk hero, man. I swear. I, they love him. I, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's just there is a feeling, there is a groundswell of this is the time. For Buffalo, the roster's been constructed, the coaching's in place. Josh Allen is Josh Allen, and we are riding, we are pushing, and that narrative only accelerated with yesterday's game against Kansas City. And now everybody's like tentatively super duper excited, and it's going to be a fun game because of that, no matter what. Like that stadium is always in full throat, and to be there during that season at any point versus any opponent is going to be a special thing. It's always a special thing, and it might turn out to be very, very special to be part of this year. So I'm looking forward to all of it. It'll be great to see my family, great to see Drew and Chris, and great to just be part of this Bills season because it feels like a special and sort of ascending time to be a Bills fan. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Final little piece of news for this segment. I um, want to thank, of course, the folks that are still giving on the Patreon and supporting us that way. We wouldn't be able to go to Buffalo without your guys' monetary support. So, again, thank you to everybody who is on the Patreon. Thank you to all of our executive producers that are at that level. Um, we owe you guys everything. If you're interested in joining the Patreon, of course, the link are in the description below uh, to help us do what we do. Couldn't thank you guys enough. Uh, and with that, EJ... Let's get to talking about prize picks, but more specifically, 
Let's get to talking about the game that Prize Picks paid us to watch and stream last Thursday, which was something resembling a football game <laughs> between the Bears and the Washington Commanders. First things first, since you've been a Bears fan since the 80s, I'm going to let you go on your soapbox. Give me your main initial reaction now that you've had several days to digest from that game. Bears need some help. We knew that before the season. The main two areas, offensive line comes first and foremost. The offensive line struggles, um, have handicapped the Bears' offense to the point where it's tough to really assess what's going on with anything, with Luke Getze's play calling, with Justin Fields' development, with even the development of the young offensive linemen. Somebody, I think it was Kurt Warner, said, hey, after watching the Bears, like I realize this offense is struggling and they're taking turns failing. And that makes it really hard to fix. And we've been saying that for a few weeks, that it's not one element. It's not just Justin Fields. It's not just the offensive line. It's not just the lack of wide receiving talent. It's not just Luke Getzey's, you know, struggles or, or, you know, bumps as he becomes a first-time, full-time play caller. You can just rotate those four throughout their offensive series, and one of them is going to fail, and therefore it makes it really difficult to say, oh, if they just had this one thing, the Bears are not one thing away. Offensive line is where it starts. They need to rebuild that bedrock. They have been hit by injuries. Every team gets hit by injuries. Their backup plans have not been great, and the overall play of the line has really handicapped the team. The fact that there aren't a range of weapons, same story. Byron Pringle was brought in. Like You can say what you want about Byron Pringle, but he is an NFL-level pass catcher. He had a pretty good year last year. He's rarely seen the field this year because of injury. Darnell Mooney is there, but he doesn't have a lot of help. So those are really the two areas where the offense is struggling. Defense has had its own struggles, but they've also had some good games. So there are fits and starts with this team, but if they don't get offensive line help and a pass catcher or two more, we're not going to see anything out of the Bears this year. And that may be the gig, right? That may be the deal. We'll know by the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. If Ryan Poles makes no moves... And doesn't go raiding some practice squads. I put out a big thread the day after the game and said, hey, this is what I would do. Here's here's the folks I would poach off other practice squads or try and poach. I would get a couple of these offensive linemen, including a guy we talked to at Shrine Bowl, Brock Hoffman. Like, you need, you need some other candidates at center. You need some other candidates at wide receiver. You could probably use a punt returner after that game. Uh, like, go – the Bears roster is bad enough that they're in a position where they can raid practice squads sign those folks to the 53 and still have them be an improvement there are also a couple of trades to be made we'll see if ryan poles makes any of those moves if he doesn't you know the tank is on you know oh, he yeah. wants to lose because if this is tank in plain sight he just has to do nothing and that will continue to happen like that that is that is all sealed up they will they'll be fine i'm not sure is it really wins. tanking if even if they were trying to win they had no shot like uh, it's, it's more question. so just accepting what you are <laughs> yes, and it's questionable whether or not they really thought that this was all going to work or whether or not they kind of went, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We think it's going to work, but we'd really like that high draft pick. And you'll know after the trade deadline, if no moves get made, if nobody gets poached off practice squads, this is it. This is the thing. It's sealed up. You might want to do something else for the rest of the fall if you're a Bears fan because they're not going to win a lot of games, and it's going to be tough to see the development. The downside of that strategy, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I don't love it as a Bears fan. The bad side of that strategy is you might get Justin Fields disabled or killed. 
Like yeah, he's rate, he's yeah. gonna be maimed because he plays tough and he takes some hits he shouldn't, and then he takes a lot of extra hits on top of that. And if you don't want him to be thoroughly damaged physically, mentally, gun shy, seeing ghosts, all that stuff. I'm not sure that you could just stick him behind this patchwork line for the rest of the season and not have that happen. He is a tough guy. He is a smart guy. He's a very resilient guy, obviously. We saw him get up from some pretty massive shots in the Commander's game alone. But the toll of an entire season that way could be irreparable, and that's something I do worry about. So that's the downside of that strategy. The upside would be you could build some base here. You're not going to build a winner. You're, you're, again, too many things away for that to happen. But you could build a young base to then go into next season with your absolute truckload of cash. It's minimum $100 million. It's up to $140 million with a few moves. $140 million in free agency next year. Now, you can say what you want about free agency being not the place you want to build a winner. I would agree. you got to build some of the foundation, the base, the building blocks here. And you can do that by grabbing some young players off practice squads, giving them a tryout in a season that's basically lost, and seeing if you have anything, seeing what else you need to spend those dollars on, seeing what else you need to spend those draft picks on. It's both, and good front offices are aggressive in all areas. If there is radio silence from the Bears front office, you know what's up. I would echo most of those points. And if you look back at the prize pick slip, that I did on stream for this game, both before and also the halftime one, I kind of did the slip according to that, like expecting all that. <laughs> the over-under for Justin Fields' completions was 13 and a half, which is outrageously low, and yet it was dead on because he got 14. Like, I barely got one by the skin of my teeth. You know, Mooney, the over-under uh, for him was 43 and a half yards. He got 69 because for they started, started targeting him downfield finally but brian robinson i i went all in on brian robinson because i was like this is a very average at best like on their best day they are an average run defense you look at their metrics um from four down fronts which is what they mainly play against zone runs which is what a lot of people attack four down fronts with is outside zone and inside zone they're not very efficient at it and so brian robinson got several really good carries antonio gibson ripped off a big one like this is not a good run defense so they they don't really have any way to stop teams from just running it down their throat and getting them uh, into a, into a, a pretty deep hole by the second half. Obviously, the Commanders are one of the few teams that... I don't want to use the word matches up. Uh, what's the opposite <laughs> of matches up? Uh, so, like, they is, were in that game, but... Yeah, is is not a... Uh, let's just call them a worthy opponent for the Bears. Worthy right? opponent, right. Um, I missed on Diami Brown. He was over, uh, over under 16 and a half. I just... I, pick that one because I assumed they were going to take a shot on a slot fade and they did uh, but it got broken up so that was kind of like the one target of the game for him so I missed on that one and then I came four yards short on Darnell Mooney or not Darnell Mooney uh, Dave Montgomery for 16 and a half receiving so I I honestly filled out the slip fairly accurately for the game I came very close to a four out of five but the fact that it was your quarterback completing 14 passes your essentially number one receiver getting over 40 yards your uh, arguably best running back hopefully getting over 17 yards receiving like that's the over unders for this offense right now and they're barely barely hitting them so 
yeah, they're in rough shape. I think it all goes back to the offensive line. Um, it's still, it's still <sighs> growing pains. Isn't even the right word. They're just bad. Like Lucas Patrick was getting run over, you know, mustaver has been bad this year. Tevin Jenkins. We're still trying to figure out exactly why he's constantly in and out of the lineup. And even within the same game, they're like rotating him sometimes. Um, you know, Borum's <laughs> Borum's been bad this year. Uh, Braxton Jones has had people run through his chest basically every week for the last few games. Like it's been horrific across every single, regardless of who's been in there. Cause they've had a whole bunch of different combinations. It's been horrific for every single spot on the offensive line, pretty much the entire season. And like you said, until that changes, that ain't going anywhere. So uh, thank God uh, we only have, I think, one more primetime Bears game to deal with uh, for the rest of the year. <laughs> that is a mercy killing as far as I'm concerned. And I, I do think that they are going to be one of the worst teams in the entire league for the rest of the year because this was like the one stretch where I thought they could have got some wins and they're, they're not getting them. So hopefully this week's Thursday game, which is Cardinals Saints, can be at least a little bit better. And both of those teams have their issues as well, but by God, they're nothing like the bears and commanders. So hopefully this Thursday is a little bit better. Hope you guys come back for, uh, for this Thursday stream as we break down that game live and give whatever analysis we can in real time, you know, obviously give you some things to look for, uh, both schematically and narratively. And of course we're going to be filling out another slip over on prize picks as well. I've, I have a pretty decent record overall this year. So I'm going to try to get back onto that four out of five and five out of five train, uh, overall, I'm very positive on the season. So hopefully this Thursday slip works out better in my favor. If you guys also want to tail those slips when you come by for the stream, you can use promo code bootleg and they'll match your deposit up to $100. So you can basically get up to $100 free to use on the platform if you feel so inclined. Uh, hope to see you guys there this coming Thursday. Thank you again to Prize Picks for sponsoring these streams and making quite literally everything we do this season possible. They've been a massive help for us and, and you know, our, our biggest partner ever. So uh, thank you to Jordan and all the folks at Prize Picks. With that, EJ, I think it's time we get to uh, some more positive stories. And that's going to be three up. It is impossible for us to start three up without talking about Bill's Chiefs. That was the main event of the week, arguably the main event of the season for any regular season game because these are the two teams that everybody expects to be there in the end. They gave me absolutely no reason to waver from that opinion that these are the two teams that are going to be there in the end. And, you know, you and I each kind of have one main takeaway from this game. Here's mine. Von Miller was worth every single dollar they are spending on him. It's a $120 million contract, technically a three-year deal, not necessarily a six-year deal, depending on how it's written and everything like that. But even if it was a six-year deal, <laughs> he's worth every single dollar because they brought him in for this kind of game, which is we are in the fourth quarter. We've got a tight lead against another fellow alien quarterback. We need to close it out. That is what Vaughn can do. You let him go in the fourth quarter and just cause havoc. You saw in that last play, um, from from how I interpreted it, it looked like they were actually doing a half slide towards Miller. And so Wiley overset himself to the edge, thinking he was going to get help from Trey Smith. And Trey Smith just 
didn't really help him <laughs> out. Like they completely lost levels with each other. So it looked like more of a communication issue than anything. But Vaughn then, you know, kind of just took that free inside lane and he flushed Pat out to Pat's right. And because Matt Milano was spying him uh, in not necessarily a drop eight coverage, but there were eight people in coverage if you count Milano he was the spy as the eighth guy because it was only a three-man rush and so he started closing in on Mahomes when Mahomes got flushed and they were running cover two to the field side where the trips was Teron Johnson passed off his guy which I think was Juju out to the flat and so then uh, when Sky Moore was coming across on the shallow Teron was like okay I'm just gonna drive on this Pat didn't see it because again he was running for his life from Von Miller and he had Milano closing down on him and he threw a pick that ended the game and that is the kind of play they brought Vaughn in for, which is cause havoc, force quarterbacks into mistakes, and let this very talented secondary capitalize on that and finish games that, to be honest, they were struggling to finish at times last year. Mm-hmm. And I think that even if you know elderly Vaughn later in this contract is not what he was in his prime, if his addition this year gets them a Super Bowl ring, which I think is very possible, I don't think they're going to care at all because this year is what they're in for. And anything that happens after this season, if they win that ring, not going to matter. He's so savvy. Like Von Miller watching this game, he is so savvy. We talk about veteran savvy. We talk about experience. We talk about knowing when to turn it on. And Buffalo's using in the right way, knowing he's at the point of his career where he is. Like, this is the perfect match of a team going, you are exactly what we need, and we know what we're getting and what we're not getting. We do not have to play you 800 snaps this year because we have Mm -hmm. a very talented defensive line. We're going to bring you in, and you're going to come in for, like, I don't know, 25 30% of the snaps. I don't know what his snap total percentage is, but not a lot. And you're going to just be that, you know, change-up fastball, curveball, everything, because Von Miller has every move there is, right? He knows, and he can just come in and be like, you haven't seen anything. I haven't even I haven't even faced you yet. It's my first rush. Okay, I can use this one for setup, but when it comes down to the third quarter, the fourth quarter, like, he looks like he's easily going to get two sacks every game out of, like, <laughs> 16 rushes. Yeah. yeah. And he just, because it's Von Miller, and he's able to stay fresh, and I would agree with you that it's a, it is a key addition, and his match since he got to Buffalo, not only with the city, but also with the team, and saying, hey, I don't have to be the guy that's coming in on a huge contract that has to have all this production. I need to do key things and, and help the rest of these young guys out who are awesome. And it's just such a it's such a good match. You see so many free agency additions that aren't. There's unrealistic expectations on one side or the other, or people think just because of the money they are something that they are not actually. Nah, this is this is lock and key stuff. It's so cool to see, and it definitely made a difference in the game yesterday. My main takeaway is that this is a massive shift in the AFC. Might not seem like it, but last year's matchup between these two teams, game of the year everybody in the entire league watched that game and went holy cow this this is the thing this is the matchup this is the rivalry those are the two quarterback sort of archetypes that you're shooting at if you can good luck and if you can't mm, better be able to do something else (laughs) so we knew this was going to be that kind of game we talked about going to this game this summer we 
didn't quite make it happen. Kind of wish we had. But anyways, everybody knew this was going to be an awesome game. Buffalo putting the screws to KC at home shifts the balance of power in their direction when it comes to exactly that. Super weapons, super teams, right? Two super weapons leading two super teams right now. Buffalo is the super team. First team to be leading the league in offensive and defensive DVOA this late in the year. God. Like, this this is not a one-trick pony. This is not Josh Allen and friends. This is Buffalo Bills, who also happen to have a human locomotive at quarterback that throws missiles. So, you know, Buffalo needed to do this, and doing it on the road in KC is a thing. When it comes down to the end of the year, like you said, we expect these teams to be there one way or another. Buffalo having the road to a home playoff trail is a big deal Mm -hmm. it is not small and they needed this mentally for the standings for everything else if they continue to do what we think they can do what we've seen them do what we know they can do when they get to the end of the year casey is going to have to come to them and that is not going to be an easy out casey is probably best position to be able to do it because look they play in an outdoor stadium it's very cold it's windy they understand all of those conditions but it's still in buffalo they got to travel to the house and boy <laughs> bills fans are gonna let them have it if it happens oh the the level of vitriol and and i don't mean like bad-natured vitriol i just no. mean like bills fans like when it comes to the chiefs these days bills fans see red like they hate the chiefs more than anybody because yeah, they're, they're the big bad wolf they are who is standing in the way that's right they're the biggest threat this is monkey off the back stuff from from steve young it was the patriots before but the the bills got rid of they expunged the patriots monkey last year they got rid of that now it's who's next and the chiefs are next and they needed this and they got it and that's a huge huge deal Second up here in three up, uh, Jets Packers. And this was actually on our watch list last week. And a lot of people were like, I don't know about that. It's Aaron Rodgers hosting the Jets. And we're like, you got to look at the quality of the rosters here. The Jets are more than just a young developing quarterback who's trying to find their way. They have a great D-line. They honestly have a great defense in general. Uh, Their run game is making it work despite all the injuries they've had to the offensive line this year. And Zach Wilson, quite frankly, hasn't had to do a whole lot uh, in since he came back from his injury. Like, he's he's been put in a position where they ask him to make a few throws a game, but even if he can't make them, the rest of the team has been good enough that they can still win. And so I, I look at this, this game coming into it, and I was like, this is a matchup between a superhero quarterback and with an average at best roster versus a great roster with for now an average at best quarterback because he's still young and learning which wins and the Jets won my main takeaway is again looking at that great young roster the combination that the Jets have now of Quinn and Williams and Sauce Gardner is very close to a young Aaron Donald and young Jalen Ramsey you know, when they first kind of teamed up in L.A., when Jalen, I think Jalen was like three years, three or four years into his career when he got traded to L.A. Um, and A.D. has always been A.D., but you added that corner into what A.D. was already doing in L.A., and you had a premier pass rush talent, regardless of position, and you had a premier 
boundary cover threat. Jets now have the same thing. Quinnen Williams is, at least so far this year, playing like a top three, uh, not just interior defensive lineman, a top three defensive lineman in the league. He has had an outrageous season so far. And Sauce Gardner has been playing at a Pro Bowl level since basically he stepped on the field. So you have elite defensive tackle, arguably elite cornerback play. And it is very similar to those early Rams defenses when Ramsey first got there and they were just tearing people's faces off. I think they're going to continue to cause problems for a long time because guess what? They're younger than AD and Ramsey were when they got together and they're already approaching playing at that level. If you'd told me that Zach Wilson was going to go into Lambeau, which has been a very difficult place for them to play, come out with 110 yards passing and a dub, I I would have bet you any amount of money that that was not true. My takeaway is that Jets leadership had a plan. They had a plan a while ago. They hired Joe Douglas, hired Robert Sala. They started drafting. They started clearing out the roster. And they have marched to that plan for the last two and a half to three years. And it is coming to fruition on all levels. They have had a huge influx of talent. And it's starting to work. Beating the Packers in Lambeau, I don't know. (laughs) Certainly being a Bears fan, I understand the mystique. But it's more than mystique. Since taking over, Mountain Fleur was 22-2 and Mm. in Lambeau. 22 mm. and 2 under his leadership at home. It is it is the place you don't want to go. You're not going to win games there. They've only lost two games since Matt LaFleur took over. That's crazy. His brother Mike came in along with that relentless Jets D that you were just talking about and took his cookie like at home. That's crazy. It's a major win. It's majorly impressive. It's a milestone for the Jets. The reason they were on the watch list is we said we want to see if they can continue the momentum. The week before versus the Dolphins was the first game we felt like was complete and that, again, the vision was on the field and operating as they expected it to. We're like, well, but that ain't Lambeau versus versus Rodgers. They did the deed, again, without very much contribution from their quarterback, but lots of contribution from the rest of that roster. It was not a fluky win. This is not some special teams got lucky, you know, blocked a punt at the end of the game and returned it for a touchdown. This is an earned win in Lambeau versus Rodgers. Now, yes, the Packers have their own problems. I don't care. 22 and 2 is 22 and 2, and now it's 22 and 3. I will say um, it could have very easily been 23 and 2 if this offensive line was remotely competent but it it's been bad and you're seeing a 38 year old Aaron Rodgers try to survive behind bad offensive line play for the first time in a while like even Elton Jenkins hasn't been playing super well Bakhtiari hasn't been playing up to his normal level which I know he's coming off a long injury but like even the two guys that you're supposed to be able to count on have not been themselves the interior has just been falling apart like it's it's been bad run blocking, pass protection, everything. It's been bad. And I think looking back at a lot of the games where Green Bay has had success in the past, even when the past game wasn't working, it was because they were able to lean on, at sometimes even patchwork offensive lines. Look at the Cardinals game last year, and they were able to run the ball with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and, and still put it together. They couldn't do that this year. Uh, and, and really, they haven't been able to at all. And so 
as long as the offensive line plays like this, they're still they're they're not going to be functional on offense. They just won't be. As as happy as you are about the Easterby news, I I am maybe one third as happy as that because that's a bigger deal organizationally. I am one third as happy as that because oh man, the Packers tears have been flowing since yesterday. <laughs> People are saying they're so used to success in Green Bay. And this is just a measure of how much they've achieved and how good a team they've been for so long. Their calls for Lafleur's firing on social media whoa, yesterday. Whoa, whoa, Come on now. I, I'm not kidding. Packers are not good losers. They've had no experience doing it, and they're, they're very inexperienced in this category. And so any deviation you know the offense has struggled we talked about the Packers struggles a little bit the the tears are flowing in Green Bay and the reactions are seismically off the charts and not a whack for what's actually occurring because this is their first little stumble and and so you know kiddos lost their lollipop and they are upset in Packers land and that is hmm, as a Bears fan pure mana because we we've <laughs> We've had the shoe on the other foot for a very long time. And it, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers getting beat up. He looked sad yesterday. And look, he is not a spring chicken. We all know that. It's getting cold. And he is not used to being on the turf. He is like Tom that way. He he does not like getting hit. And he got landed on fairly early. And you could see him get up and just, it, just working out his chest, working mm-hmm. out his shoulder. And it's holds a long day and he got hit a bunch more and he got harassed and that is not the way that he likes to play football it never has been it's always been the key to guys like Peyton and Tom and whatever it's like you want to get to him hit him early hit him that's gonna upset him and he looked upset he looked sad he looked a little bit broken yesterday for the first time in a very long time again that is a feather in the Jets cap and yeah Packers fans are are scared because you know the old saying if you can make god bleed people will cease (laughs) to believe in him uh they made god bleed in lambo yesterday and packers fans are upset about it just take heart packers fans as bad as it is now it could have been so much worse if you were starting jordan love so you know you're doing okay you're doing okay I don't think that's going to be much salve in in Cheeseville this morning. There, there is some great sadness. I would, I, I don't listen to sports talk radio, but if I could port in Green Bay sports talk radio this morning, I might just instead of a third cup of coffee. <laughs> uh, all right, three up, number three. Uh, the other New York team, we just can't stop talking about them. Giants, Ravens. My main takeaway from this game is, first of all, I cannot believe Big Blue won this fucking game. Like down 10 in the fourth quarter to the Ravens, you just lose. Like, their win rate in that situation is like 90%. Like, you just straight up lose in that scenario, and they refuse to die. The same thing happened a week before that against the Packers. They're down like 17 to 7 or 17 to 3, whatever it was in the first half, and they won't go away. And I think it's been a phenomenal coaching job by Brian Dable um, in terms of how he makes shot plays accessible to Daniel Jones. He does a lot of the same stuff he did with Josh Allen in 2020 when Josh Allen first started kind of getting it together, where it's like, hey, we're going to lean into play action. We're going to 
um, you know, give you these deep crossing routes that are essentially one-on-ones, but more makeable one-on-ones because it's more about leading laterally than trying to layer the ball in vertically. Like it's a very accessible shot play. And they're running those constantly, like so many crossing routes. And, you know, if the first two aren't there, you're, you're always going to have a check down underneath. And then when they really need a play, they'll dial up something funky with Saquon to get them out of whatever rut they're in. You know, pass protection's been it's been up and down this year, but mostly better. And I just I look at this look at this comeback against the Ravens and they they will not go away. They are constantly in every game. And all they needed, all they needed was just like a couple good plays from the defense to get them back on the horse. And Lamar was very careless with the ball in the fourth quarter. You know, he was running for his life and threw up a prayer deep down the field that he did not have to. That got picked mm-hmm. off and, you know, set uh, New York up for another red zone possession. And then um, Kayvon Thibodeau strip sacked him late in the game because Lamar was, again, moving around the pocket, holding the ball out like a loaf of bread, like three feet from his body. So Thibodeau, you know, swatted it away as he as he ran by him. And then Thibodeau tackled Lamar so he couldn't go after it. And again, they recovered and ended the game. And so I just the resiliency of this team is what really floors me and impresses me because they never believe they're out of it. Even with that roster and all the injuries they've had to the receiving core, they never believe they're out of it. And Brian Dable to his credit has not allowed them to be out of it. It's just an incredible story, an incredible team so far this year, how far they go. I have no idea. But I'm well past the point of counting them out at this point. Like, I'm just, I'm letting it ride because this year was supposed to be a rebuild anyway. Fuck it. Who cares? I, I'm ready to root for the Giants because it's just a fun story. It's a great story. And, and my main take is going to echo your main take. And, and first, I'll start with Bears fans' tears uh, because we called for Brian Dable to be the coach in Chicago on Bears Over Beers from the year before when he had interviews and then went back to buffalo for one more year and then he came up in the coaching cycle again and we're like that's the guy we want we we love what he's done with josh allen we really think he could do the same thing with justin he ends up going to the giants and the giants are reaping the benefits we talked about it in the offseason when he assembled his coaching staff we said man that's that's an impressive group like dable did a good job he put together a really good staff and he and that staff have been able to do something with the giants so far that's remarkable if anybody had them at five and one at this point in the season, I I didn't see him right, mm-hmm. and and I pretty much watch all of NFL media. Nobody had the Giants at five and one. Nobody in their right mind. Dable has had some early wins and gotten that team believing, and you could see it on the sideline. And now they all believe, and that's everybody: defense, special teams, offense. But the big point we said the crux move here is going to be getting Daniel Jones to look like a competent NFL quarterback regularly because look Daniel Jones with protection throwing deep balls has always looked really good it's been the with protection (laughs) throwing deep balls that's been the problem they're limiting his liabilities those deep drops and full field reads without protection they're either max protecting or they're moving him they're putting his mobility on full display when they get him out to the edge they'll run him it's like check these two half field read and if not run because you can pick stuff up so go for it and they uh love Saquon but they also hate Saquon which is they're using him every chance they get there is no like oh we should save Saquon for later 
Uh, he has 140 touches, 771 yards. It's like 25 like, touches a game. I don't remember the last time I saw a running back at 25 touches a game. Running, passing, like he they're using him for everything. The decoy. Yesterday you said they'll dial up something funky. They had a two tight end, three back set that they threw a running back wheel out of. Oh, was that the one where it kind of looked like Philly special, but Daniel Jones kept it and then hit the wheel off of so it? So it, they have tight ends flanking the line. They have trip running backs, so one on each side, basically in a pistol, and one behind. It's almost like a diamond formation, right? They take off. Everybody sweeps right. The second running back goes around the outside, and he hits what is actually a really tight shot wheel play he the oh the the one to Brita that's what it was yeah yeah yeah, and Brita gets rocked as soon as he catches it like it was a tough completion but you're looking at it you're like wait no wide receiver uh, pass and it almost looks like they're going for four verts if you look at the other two tight ends they go deep so you talk about dialing up crazy stuff maximizing your personnel having people believe in this team believes if Saquon stays on that pace by the way which I don't know is sustainable because we all know about running back punishment Puts him on pace for 2,200 yards from scrimmage this year. 2,200. That's a lot. So this team believes it plays together in all three phases. They have earned this 5-1 and one mark. I'm with you. This is no longer a fluke. This is no longer they got lucky. This is what Dable has done with the Giants, and that roster is easily a year early, remarkable, and stunning, and it's so, so fun to watch. One more thing I want to say about that game is first half Lamar and second half Lamar. I know we're talking all about Big Blue here, but like first half Lamar Jackson was crazy to watch. Mm-hmm. He threaded so many throws, pinpoint, guys covered, just a flick, um, you know, off platform. He looked unstoppable in the first half, and he ended up. 17 of 32 for 210 yards with a TD in that very costly pick. So it, if you look at the first half and you tell me the Ravens lose, I would have said no. <laughs> if you did the in-game bet, I would have put any amount of money that Lamar was going to continue to power them. The fact that the Giants overcame even what was a brilliant and precise quarterback display in the first half makes it all the more impressive. One quick note, and then we'll get back to the show. Uh, We need to have a little family meeting here, okay? I've looked at our analytics. Our average listener is like 25, all right? So I know who our audience is. We're all adults here. You guys got to take care of yourselves, okay? We got to stay trimmed and groomed up. I know summer's over. It's sweatpants and hoodie season. We're all going to be indoors for the next six months, but that's no excuse, all right? We got to stay clean and tidy. We got to take care of ourselves. I believe in you. But we got to do it. If you don't own a trimmer, but you want to take care of yourself, you want to look good, Manscaped does have whatever you need. You can go out and start shopping for individual products and put a list together. But if you don't want to take the time to do all that, they actually have a package, an all-in-one package that's available. It's the easiest thing ever. They've got the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. It's ceramic blades. It's skin safe. You know, 7,000 RPM motor. It's waterproof. All that stuff. You've heard that a million times. They got the Weed Whacker for ear and nose hair trimming. They've got the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver. They've got the Body Wash and Shampoo and Conditioner. I hope you guys already have that, but just in case you don't, you know, they have that available as well. They also have the antibacterial body scrubber, they've got Manscaped boxers, and it all comes with a free travel bag to keep everything together if you happen to go on the road for any reason. So, I know, it's fall, it's cold, we're all going to be gremlins for the next few months, but, you know, take care of yourselves, stay clean, stay tidy. 
They even have a nail kit available if you're like me and you suck at taking care of your nails and you have a wife that tells you that you suck at taking care of your nails. That's specifically just for me. So again, if you want anything like this, you want a package that has everything you need all in one so that you don't need to worry about it. You can just buy one thing and, and get all the products you need. You can go to manscaped.com and use promo code bootleg and that'll give you 20% off your order plus free shipping. Again, that is promo code bootleg at manscaped.com for 20% off your order regardless of how much you need. If you need a little, if you need a lot, if you need everything, you can get that discount. So again, thank you to Manscaped for partnering with us. And with that, let's get back to the show. All right, uh, let's get to three down. Three down number one, uh, the Cardinals offense, which we will be enjoying live this Thursday night again, on the uh, on the Thursday night stream here against the Saints, uh, the Cardinals' offense did not have a good day against Seattle. In fact, I'd say they had a particularly awful day against Seattle. And there's a lot of different things that you could point to for that. Um, I would say that this offense, in general, is straight up bad. Whenever DeAndre Hopkins is not on the field to bail them out on third downs, because a lot of the time teams play man coverage on third down, and so you're getting an isolated matchup with DeAndre Hopkins, and Kyler would just throw the ball up and say, hey, go win, back shoulder, and he would gladly do it. There were so many times, uh, really ever since Hopkins got there, that he would bail them out in those situations, give them a fresh set of downs, and kind of just buy time for the offense to start generating explosive plays. With him not there, that doesn't happen anymore. They don't have not even a safety blanket. They don't have a get-out-of-jail-free card, which is what he is. They were 4 of 16 on third down. They were 1 of 5 on fourth down. They also got picked off on fourth down when, again, Kyler tried to take take a shot one-on-one in one of those isolated matchups that happened to be against Tariq Woolen, and Tariq Woolen picked him off because that's just what he does every week now as he gets an interception. But beyond just the lack of having Hopkins, it's also a Kyler Murray problem. His field vision has been terrible. I mean, just terrible outside of a few select fourth quarters. He's been just bad this year. Like, there was a mesh call on third and six, which, like, it's mesh. He's been running that since he was 14 at Allen High School in Texas. It's like an air raid staple. And it's been an air raid staple since the 80s going back to BYU. You should not misread mesh as somebody who's been running it for 10 straight years in virtually the same system. And yet, somehow, he completely missed the underneath shallow route in mesh, just didn't even look at it, missed the -the over-the-ball route, didn't even look at it, and instead threw it to the other shallow, which is generally just supposed to be used to pick off the underneath shallow, threw it to him, and it got tackled short on third and six. And I mean, talking, everybody else was wide open. And he just wasn't seeing the field. And it's always been kind of an issue with Kyler where he doesn't see the short and intermediate middle of the field. But, like, it was egregious in this game how terrible his field vision was. And it almost was like like a meme at some point where I'm like, bro, he's got 10 yards around him in all directions and you're throwing to the other guy. It, it was horrific. And I don't know if that's fixable. Because that just comes down to vision and instinct and being able to process a defense. Like, that's stuff that it's not like, oh, he's, uh, you know, he, he's got an extra hitch. Or, oh, he's he's got a looping throwing motion that you can correct mechanically. Like, 
That's straight up, can you see a defense or not on mesh? And he's not seeing it. I, I, I don't know how to fix this, EJ. I really don't. You better hope you can. Because the Cardinals, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back out and take the cloud view look here, which is the Cardinals tripled down on this arrangement this offseason. They said this was great. They gave Kyler God quarterback money. They extended Cliff and Steve Kime, the GM. So the sort of <laughs> your quarterback, your head coach, and your GM, like the, the holy trinity at the top of a NFL organization, really. They said this is great. Everything's great. We love it. We're gonna. Is it, is it though? It's really not. Um, and this is a problem because they are invested big money, long haul with this trio, and it's flopping. They're last in the division in overall record. They're last in the division in net points, and quite they're quite frankly they're last in the division in hope. Like there's not a lot of hope here. They're not like, oh, DeAndre Hopkins will come back and everything will work. Or, oh, that rookie we drafted is going to be amazing and it's just going to take a couple of games. No, they're not in that spot as an organization. So I'm not really sure how, as a Cardinals fan, you wake up and go, oh, yeah, everything's golden. We're fine. We got a, we got a GM that's picking players that the coach knows how to use and our quarterback is making the most of his opportunities. Kyler's a great player, but he... <laughs> He got paid the most money in the NFL to play quarterback, even though he is not the best quarterback. Good for him. Like, good for him for getting his bag. Not great for Cardinals fans because now they have all that investment and they say, oh, well, he's getting the most money. He should be the best player, right? He's he's not going to be, like, ever. That's not his role in the NFL. Can he be a good quarterback in the NFL? He sure can. Is he being a good quarterback right now? No, you just said it. He is not. And... He's having to do a lot, and it doesn't really look sustainable. And there's no ray of sunshine on the horizon here for the Cardinals that, oh, just wait until, like, just wait until what? This is what you said was great, and it ain't great. I, I think that when Hopkins comes back next week, it will get better. <laughs> will it be better enough to the point where they could beat the Seahawks? At this point, I don't think so. Like, there's so much more wrong than just not having your number one receiver. It's, ugh. Well, we'll see on Thursday, EJ. It's not even yes. next week. It's in like three days from now. <laughs> yes, we will. We will march into another Thursday night contest. Chins up and go for it. Uh, three down number two, the 49ers offense. And, you know, I struggled with, with this one being in three down because it's easy for me to say, okay, it was a very Jimmy G type game. We're not throwing outside the numbers. We're not throwing deep. I, you know, the, the run game was, was hit or miss. It's easy for me to just talk about the same things we've talked about with a Jimmy Garoppolo-led offense for the last, I don't know, four years. But I want to shift a little bit to what the Falcons did to them that led to that result. Because I don't think people are giving the Falcons enough credit for what they are this year. It, it is a much improved football team that is honestly a couple plays away from being like five and one. And, and they would be the, the other New York Giants, you know, um, like this is this has been a good football team. Their pass rush has been phenomenally improved over last year. Like it's night and day. Even the first week of the season, they had 25% of their total sacks from last year in just the first game. 
Um, Arnold Ebikidi has been coming along. He got six pressures in this game, getting a lot closer to having that big, you know, sack number breakout game. But so far, we'll live with the pressures. He's still making an impact. Daquan Graham got five pressures himself. The secondary was really disciplined. You know, even though A.J. Terrell got dinged up a little bit during the game, um, looked like he he, uh, he did something to his hammy. I never got I never got it was a cramp. Idea. Oh, okay. That's better than I know. My... I was like I was like, oh and then well, somebody you saw him oh. pull up after that deep target and I was like, Oh, that looks bad. And so, then somebody's like, It's a cramp, and I was like, Oh, one of my biggest God. sighs of relief of the day. But even the rest of the secondary, like Isaiah Oliver had a nice, you know, go up and get it pick. Uh Hawkins had a gorgeous pick where um if I recall correctly, they're running cover cover three against X angle. And um, the corner passed off the deep angle route from the X and then drove on the crosser underneath. Like, it's a Shanahan staple, right? It's like a three-level flood concept or a variant of a flood concept. So the corner passed it off and then drove on it, tipped it on the crosser, and then Hawkins, who was on, he picked up the deep route, then drove on the ball and, and dove and got it. So just a very disciplined day from the secondary, a relentless day from the pass rush. And it led to another underwhelming Jimmy Garoppolo performance that looked like the reason they traded up to get Trey Lance in the first place. Like, we can't throw past 15 yards. They were 0 of 6 or 0 of 7 on throws over 15 yards, including those two picks. Um, You know, obviously he's not super mobile, so you can't really get him involved in the run game. Like, it's it's a very inconsistent offense with him at the helm um and i just i don't know i think the defense can only carry them so far like eventually jimmy's gonna have to play above what we've seen him do and this many years into his career i I just don't know if he's ever gonna do it you mentioned inconsistency and at the end i will talk about something that's very consistent it's not good (laughs) but it's very consistent uh, it had to be so hard for the 49ers to look across the line and see Marcus Mariota playing really good football, especially through the first quarter. Like they, they stepped on their neck in the first quarter, and it was because Mariota was playing smart, disciplined, sharp football, both in the passing game and taking off and running. You talked about Jimmy G's lack of mobility. It had to be really hard uh, for Shanahan and crew to look across the line and go, "Oh man, we 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 could have had that," but. This is the situation we talked about for San Francisco. I'm going to step back again a minute to the macro look and say we we sort of called this. We knew it was coming, especially when Trey Lance got hurt. This is a bad place to be in because Jimmy's back. The offense stagnates. Fan base doesn't know what to think because, look, Trey looked shaky, and then he got hurt. Jimmy came in, provided that glimmer of hope. Hey, he's a veteran. He knows we're going to pick right up where we left off. But now we're back in the same old bucket. You talked about it in your summary that this is this is a Jimmy Garoppolo game. You can literally call it that at this point. This is a predictable offense that if you know how to defense it, and Dean Pease does, <laughs> did, like, this is going to be the result. And, you know, so now do you really have any answers? It's betwixt and between. You're stuck in the middle. It's limbo. You're back to Jimmy. You don't know what you have in Trey. Jimmy's faltering. The defense is playing great, uh, you know, but, like, where are we as a franchise? And the answer is nobody knows and kind of nowhere at the same time. That's 
that's not great. You, you, what do you do then, right? Well, I don't know. I don't know what we have. It, like that makes it very hard to make decisions, especially big ones from an organizational level. And, and that's a, it's a crux for the 49ers and they're going to have to decide in the off season. We'll get to that. But back to the inconsistency part, I'm going to give you a stat that's terribly consistent and awful. <laughs> Worst record for coaches in the Super Bowl era, playoffs included, when their team trails by five-plus points at the start of the fourth quarter. Now, I quizzed you before the show, and you threw up a couple of names, which were likely candidates, to your credit. Now, this one's relevant. It's Kyle Shanahan, and he is 0-26. And that, that means is... if you're down by a touchdown entering the fourth quarter, you just lose. That's right. Every time. That is the worst mark ever among coaches in the in the Super Bowl era. It is not good to be able to say, I mean, we just talked about Brian Dable's team, which is, I would say, less talented overall, easily. You know, similarly talented quarterback, maybe slightly less, different areas of strength, whatever, doesn't matter. They were down by 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and they came back and won. Like, the fact that Shanahan has never done that, has never exceeded more than a four-point deficit that he's inherited going into the fourth quarter, or made, I should say. It's not inherited. He built it. That's really damning. Like, that's a lot of games. That's a lot of chances. It's a good sample size for an NFL coach. He's never done it. If you're trailing by a touchdown, you're done. You might as well just pack it up and hit the bus. That's... We're in year six, and Brian Dable's, I think, done it twice in six weeks. <laughs> right, people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, you can look around the league and see certainly greener coaches with less talented rosters doing it pretty much every week in the NFL, one way or another. Never is a thing at this point. Like, you can't just sort of brush that off and go, ah, we're not worried about it. And add in the sort of quarterback uncertainty. And look, the 49ers will pop back this season. They'll have a game where they play a defense that's less talented, and they'll roll up 35 points, and that defense will put the screws to them. And San Francisco will have good and quality wins for the rest of the season. Um, They will pop up. So this isn't a they're going to lose all their games, they're going to be the worst team. No, we're not saying that. But, like, this is a when you really get to it, when you get to the good teams and you need that boost from your offense, can you get it? And both of us are sitting here looking at it going, I'm not sure that you can. I just think it's a very imbalanced team because they have been so reliant on their defense to keep things close. So reliant. Like you look at the Denver game, for an example, where it it was two teams going back and forth of like, no, you win it. No, you win it. No, you win it. But their defense has been, um, you know, really the, the main reason they've even been in this game. Um, or really in any game. And this was the first time, and admittedly, the defense does have a lot of injuries they're dealing with, Mosley, Bosa, all that. Like, I, I get it. But at the same time, Marcus Mariota didn't throw an incompletion until 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. So regardless of the injuries, you're getting cut up that badly. At some point, a team needs the other side of the coin to to land here. Like they can't, like they, the defense is gonna have some games like this, whether through injury or through, you know, playing a superhuman quarterback, where they're gonna get lit up, and they need the offense to win them a game for once. 
and they just aren't built to do that. Either the defense wins it for them, or they just don't win. And so, like, I, I predicted this team to go to the NFC Championship game. I still think they have a decent shot of doing that just because the defense. But as long as the defense is banged up, like, they might fall so behind in the conference that it it could be tough sledding for them to do that. Because right now, truth be told, the best team in the division is Seattle. Like, they're straight up the best team in the division. They're the most complete team in the division. They've had the best quarterback play. You know, the defense has been, eh. But, like, other than that, like, Seattle's the best team. And I, I don't know. As long as the 49ers are this banged up on the one unit that's actually fucking functional, it's it's tough for me to think that they're going to they're gonna stay in this fight. Finally here, uh, three down, number three. We have the Buccaneers offense. And I was actually planning on going to this game once upon a time, about a month ago, before I got sick. And then I got sick and fell so far behind that I I just couldn't make the trip out. But I was actually going to go to this game because I thought it was going to be a dogfight. And even my expectations were were shattered in this game because the Steelers' defense, which by the end of this game, they were down Minka and their top three starting corners, excuse me, and TJ Watt. So, what, like five starters, all of them the most important starters? <laughs> and they were down all of them, and they still played their asses off and, and mostly handled Tampa's offense and, and held them to, like, four straight field goals in the red zone, kept them to 18 points overall. You know, they allowed that late touchdown to Lenny where Lenny did Lenny things and ran over people. But, like, even Devin Bush on the two-point try. Like, Devin Bush made a play. Like, Highsmith was all over people. Cam Hayward was, oh my God. Like, Cam Hayward had one of the most ridiculous games I've seen from him, even by his standards, in a long time. Like, warmly made plays. Like, the Steelers' defensive line, as banged up as this team is, took the game over. And Tampa couldn't block anybody. Tom was getting harassed. The run game was, like, Lenny had a couple nice plays, but other than that, they mostly held the run game down. And it was it was just a remarkable defensive performance to keep this game close. And yet, the even more shocking part of it was the Steelers' defense was playing like that. The Steelers held a lead with like 100-something total yards in the second half. And then uh, Pickett got hurt. Mitch came in, and Mitch Trubisky was the spark that sealed the game. He had third down conversions of third and 11, third and 15, and third and 16, all in the second half to chase Claypool. The defense did their part. They just needed the offense to keep drives going long enough to survive. And Mitch Trubisky did it. Like, Mitch Trubisky won the game against Tom Brady. <laughs> Down three corners, Minka and TJ Watt. This was one of the weirdest games of the year. And yet, uh, also because of all those crazy elements, one of the most entertaining games of the year, just because of how improbable it was. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) If you thought Mitch Trubisky was going to be giving the winner's interview at the end of this game over Tom Brady, raise your hand and buy me a lottery ticket. And over Kenny Pickett. (laughs) Right. You know, Kenny had been claimed the starter and should be the starter going forward, I think, but... Mitch can do this in spots. He can come in and 
his those three big third down conversions i saw most of them individually live as they happen and i looked up and i thought oh man mitch is on a heater like <laughs> it happens it doesn't happen all that often he can do it he has that ability we've talked about in the past but it was all coming together the bucks looked out of sorts they the bucks don't normally look out of sorts especially since tom brady arrived they managed to right the ship they managed to rally and keep sailing forward and make those conversions happen. They have a ton of talent, and they don't normally go into troughs or slumps. They did. They couldn't keep drives going. Brady was fiery, tried to rally the troops on the sideline. A lot's been made out of that, uh, and it didn't work, which is also really rare. Usually when Tom says anything in a loud voice, like people go, holy shit, it's Tom Brady, and they get their shit together. Didn't didn't make a difference. Pittsburgh kept the pressure on, and it kind of looks like, and I'm going to say it, we've said it before, this might, we can maybe see the horizon here for Brady and Rodgers. There have been leaks mm-hmm. this week that Rodgers is like, eh, I don't know if I want to keep doing this, and then he has that game against the Jets where he gets pounded. Brady's yelling at his offensive line. People are questioning his work habits uh, for a week, which is unheard of. There's definitely trouble in paradise for both of the you know most veteran to the most successful quarterbacks ever, not just currently. But we've said that before. That's my caveat. We've said that before for both guys. Uh, it was a running joke for years that, oh, this is going to be Tom's last year. That was like six years ago. Yeah. <laughs> we've said it for Aaron Rodgers. He bounced back and had two MVP seasons, not one but two. Uh, so we've said this before, but both guys on Sunday – looked a little haggard looked a little weary with playing quarterback in the nfl which let's let's be honest is a high stress position <laughs> they and they've been sore, doing sore ej that's the word sore yeah <laughs> they they both got harassed we talked about it earlier and we talked about rogers that that's the way to get to those guys and it's always been the way to get to the top guys hit them hit them early hit them al davis the quarterback must go down the quarterback must go down hard right like it's hard to do in the modern NFL without getting penalties, but on Sunday, both both guys got hit early. Both guys looked frustrated. Both guys lost. And, you know, this is – I, I want to credit Pittsburgh. I don't just want to say, oh, Tom faltered and so Pittsburgh got a win. No. Pittsburgh, we've been saying – again, they didn't disguise anything. We've been saying that for weeks. Like, it, they lined up and said, okay, beat us with our second stringers at corner. Beat us with our second stringers dotted in along the defensive line. And Tampa couldn't, and that's rare, but – Pittsburgh earned this one, and it, it did turn into be an interesting game. The first half looked kind of, yeah, and then, you know, in, throughout the second half, I'd look up and I'd see Chase, Chase Claypool making another big play, and I was like, huh, are they going to – did they have a chance to – oh, my God, they did. Look at that. It's Mitch giving the winner's interview. So, uh, fascinating game. Again, one of the reasons you play them on dirt as opposed to on paper. Uh, good win for the Steelers. This week's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Raycon. And ironically, uh, I actually use these things almost every single day because I typically need to use wireless earbuds about every other day, whether I'm in Zoom meetings or outside media interviews on my laptop and I don't really want the audio to disrupt my wife while she's working at home, or even after work when we're going hiking or biking or any other kind of workout. I use my Raycon earbuds a lot for pretty much all that, and they have never let me down before. 
The audio quality is good. There's noise isolation. There's multiple sound profiles. The in-ear fit is also excellent. The battery life also lasts a long time. It's about eight hours per charge with about 32 hours total for battery life. But the best part is the price, honestly, because it's a good quality product with all of those different features that you kind of expect these days, but it is way less money than a lot of other premium earbuds are marked up for. It's, I'm not even kidding, 30% of the cost because you're not paying extra for, you know, branding and status and all that kind of stuff. So if you just want a good set of wireless earbuds and you don't want to pay, you know, $250 or more for them, just go get some Raycons. You can go to buyraycon.com and use promo code bootleg15 and that will give you 15% off your order. Again, that is buyraycon.com using promo code bootleg15 for 15% off your earbuds. Thank you again to Raycon for supporting us. And with that, let's get back to the show. All right, let's get to three fun because uh, we have some very interesting things that we got to go over there. Three fun number one this week, EJ. Uh, The Colts offense finally worked. It actually looked (laughs) functional. Uh, Matt Ryan... You know, put up 34 points. He was 42 of 58. 58 <laughs> pass tips, uh, three TDs, no interceptions. Thank God for once. Uh, Pittman went off. He had 13 for 134. Deion Jackson ran tough, 10 for 79, receiving uh, out of the backfield. Paris Campbell had seven catches. I don't know if he's ever had seven catches before. Uh, and then we had some young guys who were bootleg favorites. Jelani Woods caught another touchdown. Uh, Alec Pierce sealed the game with a, a big old moon ball to put the game away in the final seconds of the fourth quarter, which is exactly what they drafted him to do, which is go beat press and and uh, and and you know go win a jump ball for us. And he did that. Uh, I, I believe it came against Shaquille Griffin, by the way. Who, fun fact, got targeted. <laughs> It's a very fun fact for me, at least. Fun. Got targeted 16 times in this game, which is basically the equivalent of, like, where's my bitch? Where's my bitch? Like, find my number that I'm going after and just throw to him over and over and over again. Like, it was very clearly the plan of the day is find Griffin, target Griffin, and profit. And they did that. Boy, they did that. Yeah, the NFL is ruthless in that way. If there is a guy that is not having a great day or is injured or uh, just doesn't play well against a particular scheme, route, or person, NFL teams will run right at them and run them over relentlessly until you change, stop it, or take them out of the game. And the Colts did that, and good for them. It was good to see this offense be what we predicted it would be over the summer when they added Matt Ryan and they brought in the draft hall and they already had Pittman. You know, we were thinking Taylor was going to be there, but Deion Jackson been a revelation over the last couple of weeks. He is a really talented player. His rushing stats yesterday were super pedestrian, but he made up for it with 80 yards receiving, made big plays all the time. And all of the receivers did like everybody got in the game. If you told me they were going to let Matt Ryan off the chain at this point and let him throw almost 60 passes, I would have been like, that sounds like a losing strategy based on how he's been playing. Nope. He hit his stride. He was hitting receivers, all his receivers, all over the field. The young guys did their thing. Alec Pierce basically did his T. Higgins impression, which is why they drafted him. That was a gutsy play 
at the end that looked like they were just going to drive down, get the field goal, grind clock. Nope. They're going to go for it on third and long, and he's going to convert it, and that's it. They walk out winners. Um, that's what teams do when they're feeling good. Like, And the Colts aren't feeling great, so it was good to see them sort of flip the script, see the other side of the coin, see all the things, all the cylinders working in unison to power this Colts offensive engine forward. And, you know, it's a good day. We've been on them really hard since the beginning of the season, rightfully so. They've been terrible. It was nice to see it turn around on Sunday and go, ha that's what I meant. That's what I thought it would do. Three fun number two. Uh, and we mentioned last segment that Seattle might be the best team in the NFC West. A big reason for that beyond Geno Smith, you know, having the time of his life out there right now, um, <laughs> is the Seahawks rookie class is playing very similarly or rather providing the same value of that Saints legendary rookie class when they had Lattimore and Kamara come in and it completely you know changed the franchise in one draft class Seahawks are having very similar success Kenneth Walker had his lead back debut yesterday he had 21 for 97 Uh, he also got another touchdown two more catches for 13 yards and just from a talent perspective, showed why you and I thought he was the best back in this class. His change of direction skills, his contact balance, like he's just, he's a special kid. Um, their offensive tackles are both rookies, Abe Lucas and Charles Cross. Charles Cross was a top 10 pick, what they got in the Russell Wilson trade. Abe Lucas, they took him. Sorry, EJ, I got to do this. I know. They took him one pick after Chicago, after Chicago took Valus Jones, by the way. Uh, in the third round, and he has been even better than Charles Cross. He has been a very, very steady, uh, solid presence at right tackle. Boy, Chicago could have used one of those this year. But you anyway. think? <laughs> <laughs> Both of their rookie corners that we speculated in the offseason were going to get significant snaps ended up just <laughs> becoming their two best corners almost immediately. Kobe Bryant and then especially Tariq Woolen. Tariq Woolen might be the defensive rookie of the year. He's going at it right now with him and Sauce are probably the two top candidates, but like Tariq Woolen's been a revelation. Um, I'll put up the clip here of his interception in the fourth quarter where I swear to God, you put a Richard Sherman jersey on him, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Like he looks so much like young Sherm, who just also happens to have 4 2 speed. He's ridiculous, ridiculous talent. And then that's not even everybody. Like Boye Mafe, Tyreek Smith, Bo Melton, Tariq Young, they all might be contributors down the road. We could very easily be talking about this draft class as one of the best draft classes in franchise history. And considering some of the classes they had roughly 10 years ago, that's saying a lot. It's a major factor. You talked about Seattle being the best team currently in the division getting this much contribution this quickly from one rookie draft class not common folks uh if you don't follow the draft uh certainly not like we do it if you get one two even three rookie starters you're doing really well out of any draft class and that's just if they're playing right not contributing at the level we talked about kobe bryant has four forced fumbles Tariq Wollen has four interceptions we're five, six games into this season. Those are rookie corners. Uh, both the rookie offensive tackles have had their struggles, but they've also had their highlights, and they are solid and playing. Kenneth Walker really is just, it's pecking order. Pete loves his running backs. 
They've had some injuries. Kenneth Walker's made some little contributions, but you've just seen little sparks. Sunday was the, okay, you're going to get all the carries. He showed that deadly second cut that I talked about pre-draft. He he looked every bit like I was in a bar full of Seahawks fans, and they got to see really their first full dose of him. And there were loud cheers when he touched the ball. He looks different carrying the rock for them. It's the reason that Seattle is where they are this season is that they took all that draft haul from Russell Wilson and everything else they've saved up, and they spent it well for the first time in a long time. John Schneider has kind of gone off on his own for a lot of these drafts previously, and we said right after the draft that Seattle was one of our favorite draft classes along with the Texans because of this class, and they are proving that early and often, and it's really awesome to see. Seattle is a much more fun team to watch this year like just from the fun meter you know they're not my team but for the last couple seasons they've been a little bit harder to watch I don't really care that they're winning they're a fun team to watch this year Uh, speaking of fun teams three fun number three we might have a legitimate quarterback controversy brewing in New England. I'm not all the way in on the whole, like, Bailey Zappi should start over Mac Jones thing, because Mac Jones, again, had a pretty good rookie year and I think deserves consideration to, to come back and, and, you know, prove that he can do it. But I'll be damned, Bailey Zappi's looking pretty good in New England. And if you told me back in January that Bailey Zappi, the, the, the Bailey Zappi that we were familiar with, in the pre-draft process, if you told me that he was going to be this in New England, I would have laughed in your face, especially considering uh, the, the particular talent that is there, which is still not all the way there. Like, they have some pieces we love, Ramondre, Taekwon. Like, they got some dudes, but it's by no means a complete offense personnel-wise. And then they're being coached by Matt Patricia. If you told me that Matt Patricia and Bailey Zappi with Taekwon Thornton were going to do this, I would have laughed in your face. And yet here they are. Like Zappi's looked fantastic. Like his his movement uh, in and out of the pocket has, has been great. Like he's really been fantastic at feeling pressure and kind of protecting himself and not running himself into unnecessary sacks. He's been accurate. He's been aggressive when he needs to be, but not overly aggressive. Like he understands his limitations. And, you know, Taekwon Thornton, who finally had the game now that there's I don't mean to cheer on injuries, but there has been some injuries. And so Taekwon kind of got a chance to get in there. And you immediately saw why they drafted him where they did in the red zone. Like he had a phenomenal release against Press in the red zone, shut off his footwork, one inside, got the touchdown, you know, caught a nice deep cross from Zappy earlier than that. Like everything is actually looking functional. And going into this year, I didn't even think we were going to get that. All summer, all we heard was this offense is fucking awful. And, and now here they're like, I get it. The Browns defense, not good, but I mean, for God's sake, Bailey Zappi's putting up 30 points. So credit to the Patriots coaching staff, credit to Zappi himself, credit to the young guys for stepping up, credit to the offensive line for playing better. Like this is an actual, not just watchable, but fun team to watch just like Seattle. And that is far more than I expected this year. Zappi stepped right in and Again, based on my pre-draft evaluation, I wouldn't have said that even if he had been able to attain this level, which I was absolutely not certain of, I would have never have said that he'd do it right away and look like he'd been doing it for weeks. 
Bailey Zappi is the first rookie quarterback with a hundred plus rating and wins in his first two starts. Ever. Uh, uh, like ever. Insane, he's the he's the only one. <laughs> and it hasn't been a fluke. Like that's the thing. You look at him and he's like, Yeah. Like, uh huh. He's on the field. He's like, That's right. That's what I do. Like and his ball placement, which was a strength in college, ball placement, accuracy, timing. All that's been on display, but while processing a new offense with a new set of teammates in a league that is a much higher echelon in terms of athleticism, that's not what rookie quarterbacks do. That's why the game looks too fast for them. That's why the moment looks too big for them. Neither of those things have seemed to affect Bailey Zappi at all. He's like, yeah, uh uh-huh, which is wild. It's just so weird and really cool if you're a Patriots fan because, look, Regardless of what you think of Mac Jones, when he's healthy, he is a very good quarterback. He will probably be back in the top spot. He earned that last year. But you know now that if he gets dinged up, you have a very good chance to win with your backup, who you picked up late for basically zero draft capital. This is a massive win for the organization. It's a big feather in the cap of Matt Patricia, who we have heaped plenty of, uh, we'll call it negative praise, on early earned the summer. earned negative praise absolutely we were not the only ones new england press in general was saying i don't know about this and we were too they've found a way and more than that they are humming right now and that is something else to see with bailey zappi at quarterback yeah it's just been remarkable and also by the way it's a good thing for mac jones too that they're winning because that's pushing the timeline back of when he comes back from his ankle so like it's actually good for mac that bailey's playing well because he then gets more time to be healthy so overall great thing for the organization um and with that being said let's get to the bootleg shot of the week EJ, this uh, this great day to be a Texans fan continues here on the Bootleg Shot of the Week because last week's winner, appropriately, was bootleg favorite Damian Pierce running through an entire army of Jaguars defenders. Um, he was one of the main exciting things to watch about this team so far this season. And now that the bad man is gone, I think there's going to be even more exciting things. You know, Derek Stingley, Petre. Even Davis Mills has his moments, Nico Collins. So, uh, But for you, particularly Damian Pierce, I raise my glass to you uh, for giving uh, fellow Texans fans like me at least something positive to watch this year. Yeah, I brought the good stuff because it's Damian Pierce, because we were so excited about him and he has delivered. I'm going to talk about him in our new segment, uh, but I broke out the Kyle Sherry because you're doing a shot of Kyle Sherry? I am indeed for Damian Pierce. Yeah, good stuff. So here's to you. He's been phenomenal so far. Kyle Sherry, I would classify. (coughs) Uh, That's what I get for not doing a chaser. Kyle (laughs) Sherry, uh, I would classify as more than just the good stuff. That is the great stuff. It's elite. It's elite, elite whiskey. If you ever get a chance to grab yourself a bottle, please do it. Yeah, and I will hear no arguments. So moving on. Uh, All right, this week's nominees, we have four really, really good ones. We actually had so many that we didn't even need to put out (laughs) suggestions. By the way, y'all are awesome. Normally, I put out a a sort of call on Twitter for Shot of the Week nominations. People started flooding my mentions with Shot of the Week nominations like 
a quarter into the first round of games, and I love you all for it. It was amazing. Yeah, you make our job much, much, much easier. So thank you for that. Keep them coming. Uh, we have four amazing nominees this week. Number one, Quincy Williams. Keep in mind, there was like three different Quincy Williams hit uh, hits I could have chose from in this game. I ended up going with a, a absolutely textbook tackle for loss. He had on Aaron Jones, drive through the legs, de-cleat him, rip him off the ground, and then drive him. Like It, it was how you teach tackling. Like, you go to any Pop Warner practice, throw that tape on. That's how you teach the kids how to tackle. Just a gorgeous play against Aaron Jones. Uh, number two, Justin Reed lighting up Isaiah McKenzie, who had a rough day, let's be honest. Isaiah McKenzie had a long, long Sunday afternoon, and I, I think uh, is starting to get outplayed by Khalil Shakir over there. And And one of the roughest parts of the day was Justin Reed blowing his ass up to get a PBU in that game. Great play by Justin Reed to stay with it. The ball wasn't perfect, but still catchable. But with that kind of hit, it, it's it's tough to hang on for a guy like McKenzie. Nominee number three, Jalen Ramsey. Again, textbook tackle. And he's one of the best tackling DBs in the entire league, so this is nothing new for him. But he, he got Christian McCaffrey squared up in the flat. Again, drive through the legs and lift. Get them on the ground. Take away their base. Absolutely beautiful tackle out in space and then uh number four here and this one might actually be my favorite this week and that says a lot we got a little offensive lineman love here on shot of the week uh this week Terrence Steele they ran a little pin and pull play there and and Steele got matched up with a corner in space and anytime you have somebody (laughs) it's like a 120 pound difference out in space physics lessons will happen and Terrence Steele just a obliterated some poor Eagles corner out there. I'd be damn near ended his life, uh, if I do say so myself. And it was uh, probably the funniest nominee this week. And we had a whole lot to choose from, but that one, like, we, we immediately DM'd each other, like, going in, no argument, don't care, that's in there, has to be in there. So, Terrence Steele, uh, buddy, I, I have an empty shot glass. Cheers to you for, for <laughs> doing a- all fellow offensive linemen proud. It's a pre-shot of the week. We also took a live shot of the week for Carson Wentz uh, on Thursday because he threw a block, and it's pretty rare that quarterbacks throw blocks and very rare that they throw good ones. And, you know, in a game that was less than exciting, uh, we took a live shot of the week for Carson Wentz. But the Justin Reed PBU was pretty interesting because we literally DM'd each other at the same time. Like, (laughs) mine got there first and yours came in right after, and you're like, what in the world? I was like, look, we share a brain because we were like, Justin Reed, shot of the week, look at that thing. Yeah, we know what we're looking for at this point, so... It was funny how the day went, though, because, like, these were actually, like, all in sequential order, where, like, we saw the Quincy hit, and we're like, oh, that's going to win. And then we saw the Reed hit, and we're like, no, that one's probably going to win. And then Ramsey, we're like, okay, that one's probably. And then Terrence Steele happened, and I was like, fuck, how, how do I not vote for Terrence Steele? Yeah. <laughs> and there were four others that easily could have made this list, but we don't like making the list eight nominees long. So these are four great ones. Thank you all again for throwing in the nominations. It makes it really fun for us to go digging for those if we missed them. Um, that leads us to our watch list for next week. And our watch list for this week was deadly accurate because the game I said I was sort of mm, oddly fascinated by was Ravens Giants. <laughs> ended up being a good game. Yeah. Ended up being a great game. We had Jets Packers on there. So this week's watch list, Giants at Jags, really interesting game between just two teams with where they are right now. 
this one should be fun. Seahawks Chargers again, a game that before the season I don't think probably would have made this list, but that's why they play them on grass, kids. This one's gonna be really cool. Falcons Bengals. Falcons showed some things that we haven't seen this week, and Bengals played a good game to win this week. Going to be a fun matchup. And then the bonus game, oddly fascinated by Lions-Cowboys. Lions Mm -hmm. need to kind of get back on track. Cowboys played tough against the Eagles. Zeke looked back to me. His spin move was present again for the first time in a long time. Going to be interesting to see, A, who's at quarterback for the Cowboys, but B, how the Lions bounce back. So that's my oddly fascinated. And that brings us to our uh, new hold, segment. Hold on one second. I, okay. I, I, on, Go ahead. On the watch list, one note that I want people to be aware of, because I don't know if they made this connection. And this is the main reason I'm going to be glued to this game no matter what. Falcons-Bengals <laughs> is a rematch of, of a very particular battle that we have talked about a lot in bootleg lore. A.J. Terrell versus Jamar Chase in the national championship game like three years ago at this point. A.J. Terrell was the only corner in college football that actually looked remotely competent (laughs) against Jamar Chase. I know Chase got him for a couple touchdowns, but Terrell himself was matched up man-to-man and got four PBUs on him. So, like, it was a back-and-forth battle, which that game was what convinced me that Terrell was going to be great in the NFL, and he is because he survived Jamar Chase. This is going to be a rematch between those two premier talents, and thank God it was only a cramp and not a not a more severe hammy injury last week because we're going to get that rematch, and that is going to be a fucking war. I guarantee you. That is going to be a battle from start to finish. You do not want to miss it. If you have Sunday ticket, if you have a, a, a VPN that gives you access to Euro Game Pass, which is what I use, watch that game and watch that matchup. It's going to be fantastic. But anyway, continue on to last call. Must see TV. I couldn't agree more. Really, really glad that Terrell's not going to miss it because that's going to be an instant classic. So our new segment on the show, which I'm really excited about, mostly because it was suggested by a listener slash viewer. That's the coolest thing ever. They said, wouldn't it be cool if you did this? And they had one idea for it. We kind of threw it in the hopper, stirred it around, put a little bit of a bootleg twist on it, and I'm I'm psyched about it. So new segment on the show. We're going to call it Last Call. You don't got to go home, but you can't stay here. It's basically our own little two-minute drill to hop on a soapbox about whatever we want. It is timed, which both of us need. Uh, <laughs> so we're on the clock. Uh, I'm going to fire up the stopwatch on my phone. I don't know if our wonderful team of editors will throw up a clock on the screen. They might because they're pretty good like that. Uh, But basically, I'll just give you the high sign when you're done. Are you all set for your initial last call? I am. And I'm going to be hopping on a soapbox this week in praise and defense of Howie Roseman because he has been much blind in, in Philly media over the last several years until we got to this year where once again, there's six and O juggernaut and everybody's like, Oh, maybe how he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Maybe he does because listen to these series of trades that he made to get the Eagles into position to where they are now. So he traded away Carson Wentz, who was damaged goods. The first time they traded him, let alone when Indy traded him again, traded away Carson Wentz for a conditional second that could become a first round pick. If Wentz played 75% or more snaps, in Indianapolis, which he did. So that then became the 16th overall pick from Indy in last year's draft. 
They traded 16 and they're naturally gotten 19th overall pick to New Orleans because New Orleans wanted 16. They were trying to get Ammo to move up for Olave. As part of that deal, when they traded away both of their first round picks, they got the 18th from New Orleans and this next year's first round pick from New Orleans, in addition to some other stuff. New Orleans then took those picks, again, moved up to 11 to get Olave at uh, the 11th overall pick. So Eagles had 18 in last year's draft and next year's first round pick as an extra pick in the first round from New Orleans. They used the 18th overall pick to get A.J. Brown because they're like, screw it, A.J.'s better than every other receiver in this class. We're going to go get him, which proved to be a pretty powerful move. And they still have New Orleans' first overall pick or first round pick this year, which as of right now, the Saints are 2-4 and and are slated for the sixth overall pick in the draft. So the Eagles are undefeated at 6-0 and with the sixth overall pick in the draft at the same time, and they got A.J. Brown. We bow at the altar of Howie Roseman. He is an absolute master. And I think that all of the slander that was levied his way over the last several years was unjust. He knows how to build a football team. He's one of the best to ever do it. And I think that he has a chance to get his second Super Bowl in a six-year period because of that. Uh, holy Did I perfectly time that? Shit! <laughs> Unreal! Coleman nails it. He's like a half second off with the two minutes. It's live TV training, baby. When I gotta hit a break, I'll hit a break. <laughs> I that might be the most stunning over under of the day is flat. I'm I'm voting for a push for Coleman on a two minute drill. <laughs> wow. Uh, that is stunning, stunning stuff. And what Howie's done with the draft picks has been amazing as well. All right. I will jump on my last call. Rookie running backs going off. Brees Hall's last two weeks, 38 for 213 yards, 5.6 per, two TDs and 105 yards receiving. Whoo. He was my RB2 behind Kenneth Walker. Damian Pierce's last two weeks, we just talked about him. Shot of the week, 40 for 230, 5.7 per, also two TDs. Mm. Strong, strong start. He was my RB4. Kenneth Walker's lead back debut, we talked about it earlier, 21 for 197, rushing 4.6 per, and a touchdown looked electric in his first starting duty for the Seahawks. Everybody knows that follows me. I love running back talent. This top trio alone gives the league a really fun talent infusion at the position, not to mention (laughs) lots of other players. Add in guys like Brian Robinson, who came back from a tremendous injury return on Thursday against the Bears. Uh, Tyler Algier, who's been filling in very nicely for the Falcons. His stats aren't gaudy, but his runs are really nice. Rashad White has been doing really good duty for the Buccaneers. And it is a fun time to be a running back fan in the NFL. It feels like they needed a full class, almost like the tight end draft. We needed a really solid talent infusion at the position. We've got top talent. We've got lower round fill-ins. We've got underdog stories. We've got it all. And right now is a really fun time to be watching running back play in the NFL at a time when teams are starting to lean more heavily on running back play. Um, there we go. That's mine. And I give back 17 whole seconds. So I don't know if that means I win or lose. Uh, well, um, I have we'll a question to... for you to fill those 17. Who was your RB three? Cause I can't remember. Oh, it was Ford. 
and he hasn't had his opportunity yet. Ah, Jerome Ford. I don't and, count that one. He was he's buried yeah, in the depth chart. He is buried on the depth chart, and that is we talk about this all the time. The situation is a massive thing. And Kenneth Walker, if he'd started from week one, we'd be talking about him in very different tones. But again, we're starting to see all that come together, and everybody that we thought was going to be great is great, and that's rare, and it's super fun. All right, plugs for this week. Uh, Film Room, I got one coming out on, uh, it's it's like half a history lesson, half an admonishment of Zach Taylor, half a praise of Andy <laughs> Reid. It's like the history of the power option shovel, which then became like the goal line shovel pass that everybody knows and hates at this point, and uh, how it, it has its roots in uh, Bill Yeoman's split back veer in Houston in the 60s which then kind of became the inverted veer, which technically the Ravens still sort of kind of run these days. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. It's a long episode. It's taken like two weeks to do. Um, and uh, our editor who also works in the podcast, Jay is, is probably editing this right now and realizing that this episode <laughs> is going to be a pain in the ass to do. I don't know what day it's coming out this week, but it's coming and uh, we, we will get it out to you as soon as we can. What do you got coming, EJ? Uh, I don't know. I love those, by the way, the history lesson ones, the deep dives, the coaching trees, the interconnections. Those are those are some of my favorites. Uh, Bears of a Beers will be out on Thursday this week. Uh, we'll both JB and I will both pick a player from Bears All 22, pick them apart. We did Justin Fields last week. That was a fun dive. Yeah, we don't exactly uh, have as much fodder this week, but it's going to be a good time. And uh, that's that's largely what I've got besides this pod uh, on. If you are a bootleg patron, you got a fun little surprise on Saturday morning. I got up. Uh, the Athletic had put out a uh, basically a quarter poll like rookie review for the draft. And I was like, hey, I should use that to check my work. So I did. And if you're a bootleg patron, you got that early Saturday morning as a surprise. So keep looking for stuff like that to pop up. But other than that, I am cruising into next week. All right, well, thank you to all of our executive producers on the Patreon. Marat, Consti, Caden, Fitzy, Taylor, our newest producer. Thank you to Taylor as well. Uh, couldn't do this without you guys, so thank you once again. If you want to become a patron, whether at the executive producer level or below, really anything, we'll, we'll take whatever you're willing to give. That's linked down in the description below. Thank you to all of our patrons who help make this show possible. And uh, with that, we'll see you guys Thursday night for our next TNF live stream brought to you by prize picks that's going to be cardinals saints this thursday we go live half hour before kickoff so we will see you then have a good week take care